Uh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Mr. Jason. Welcome to the Vivek Podcast. Thanks uh, for thanks for taking the time to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. Yeah. So, how is everything on your side? I know it's crazy what's going on, but so. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually pretty t- terrible. Um, so, from my perspective, you know, I'm in the cryptocurrency business, and we manage money uh, through Morgan Creek Digital. But I also have a startup in the oil business, and <clears throat> it's been really bad. Uh, the the oil market is is doing things it's n- never done in the history of uh, of of oil manufacturing. So um, uh, we're we'll hof- hopefully get through all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I see you. I see you tweeting about that as well. Like you lay you laid off a lot of your employees, right? Well, um, you know, through our portfolio companies, um, through my own startup, and through our personal family businesses, um, we had to leave off, lay off um, over a hundred employees directly. And oh. I can only imagine uh, the amount of employees that have been furloughed. Uh, so it's it's been devastating. I mean. When you look at small businesses in the United States, uh, 58.9 million people are employed in small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, 47.5% of the country's total employee workforce is employed by small businesses. And um, you know they, they've literally been decimated. So it's really important that the American government and the Fed continues to try to come up with ways to combat the COVID-19 virus, but also get us back to operating economically. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so before we get in, can you please briefly introduce yourself or like people in Bitcoin and crypto community already know you, but still for people who don't know you, can you please briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um, so my, my background is actually in healthcare. Uh, in 2001, I started a company called FastMed, uh, which is like urgent cares and primary care clinics that are decentralized across the country. And over a 12-year period, I built that company into the, the U.S.'s second largest urgent care uh, and primary care practice. It, it had 1,400 employees, 123 locations, and uh, we were doing about 1.5 million patient visits a year. I sold that company for about half a billion dollars in 2015. Uh, I had also practiced medicine for almost two decades um, inside FastMed, but also emergency medicine and primary care. After I sold FastMed, uh, Anthony Pompliano or Pomp and I uh, started Full Tilt Capital, which was an early stage venture business. We raised about $18 million and invested in 63 companies. Those companies weren't necessarily in the crypto space, but uh, they were in uh, industries that we were interested in, energy, alternatives, um, uh, service, uh, service businesses, technology. And uh, we did investments in some late stage uh, pre-IPO businesses like SpaceX, Airbnb, Reddit, Lyft, for example. And in 2016, um, Pomp, myself, and Mark Yusko started uh, to work together and formed Morgan Creek Digital. And that is a a company that focuses specifically on uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technologies. with a thesis focused on infrastructure investing. And right now we have about 130 million of assets under management. We've invested in about 30 companies and we have a, a liquid position in Bitcoin specifically. Um, so that, that's where I spend most of my time 
now. It's managing money through Morgan Creek Digital and our legacy funds. And I have a startup that was a waste to energy business called PRTI, where we take trash tires and we put them through a patented technology and make power uh, mm. and make uh, break them down into the constituent parts that they're made. So a tire is made of uh, rubber, but uh, oil, carbon, steel, mm. and you can pull a fair amount of synthetic gas off of it. And we mine cryptocurrency off of the power that we make from dealing with those mm. waste tires. So it's like the world's first waste energy cryptocurrency mine, but it's also a really, really thoughtful way to dispose of car tires. Yeah, very cool. So let's start with uh, FastMed first. So you build this amazing company. So when you were exiting, what was your thought process? Because you have put a lot of time building it. So what was your exact thought process at the moment when you were you were thinking of exiting it after building all these years? Yeah, it's a great question. So in 2010 was the first time I brought institutional capital other than friends and family. So from 2001 to 2010, I grew it internally. In 2010, I brought on a capital partner called Comvest. And um, from there, we used that institution's money to really go through a rapid growth phase. So from 2010 to 2015, we grew really fast. I went from 74 employees to 1,400 employees, and I really subordinated myself in my own company. So uh, I went from being you know, a bootstrapping founder who made all the decisions to having a sophisticated uh, senior executive team with a professional board. And there was a lot of accountability, a lot of decision-making that was made by consensus. Um, and it, it was a good process for me to go through uh, working with a professionally managed venture backed company. Uh, but I was ready to get back to early stage stuff by 2015. So at the point we exited, uh, it was more of maintenance and slow growth, not being super creative and, and building what I wanted. So mm -hmm. I was ready to exit in 2015. So I, I was able to cash out um, make a lot of money, make a lot of people a lot of money, and then do my own thing. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, how you navigated you and manage your finances once you exited? Because it was your first exit with a lot of sums of money, and you needed to put that money somewhere. So, uh, how you managed all these sums of money after your first exit? Yeah. It, another great question. So. I was very fortunate to develop a banking relationship with a traditional bank when I first started. So I was 25 years old. Uh, it was a local bank uh, based in North Carolina. And they, they allowed me to finance the buildings and some operational capital to get started, but also was my partner along the way, anytime that I needed lines of credit or, um, or construction loans. Uh, and all along, they were positioning themselves to be my wealth managers once I finished. So when I exited in 2010, uh, I got a small uh, bit of money uh, and rolled a fair amount of it forward in the company, but then had a large exit in 2015. So I already had a really strong decade more relationship with bankers, accountants, and attorneys. And uh, mm -hmm. that allowed me to place that capital uh, with wealth managers, accountants, and attorneys who constructed trusts and vehicles to uh, to 
position myself in the best tax situation I could uh, and to not do stupid things like mm -hmm. buy boats and airplanes and, yeah. uh, and things like that. So uh, I was always very conservative. I grew up as a poor kid from Queens, New York, and um, I've always felt very uncomfortable having money. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to make sure that that money was working for me and that it was uh, put in a position to protect my family uh, so that we didn't have to start from where I started, but the kids and my wife could be at a different place. And, that, and that's really what I've done over the last five or six years is, um, mm -hmm. is have uh, money in very conservative uh, in conservative vehicles that generated um, that generated a fair return without putting a lot of risk uh, capital. Uh, and then I, I, I continue to bet on myself and, um, and back ideas that I have and, and probably put uh, more of a position on uh, in things that I'm super compelled and, and have lots of operational control over. Okay, yeah, interesting. So what was your investment thesis at that time and how it changed over the last, let's say, five, six years? of your VC and angel investing career? Yeah, so when I started, uh, I was literally like a student of, uh, of Robert Kiyosaki. So yeah. he, he recently did an interview with Pomp on his podcast so that, I, that your listeners should go check out. But I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrants and I realized that going to medical school and being a highly compensated employee is a recipe for disaster because I'm going to be burdened with debt and I'll never be in control of my future if I trade hours for money. So it was really important for me. And I had this epiphany when I was 25 years old that I created a situation that had other people, um, other people working to create and trade hours for money. And that's where the, the thought process for FastMed came. I could work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and make you know make fifty a hundred bucks an hour, but if I but if I have thousands of people working, you know twelve hours a day, and they're trading their time for money, and I'm managing the money, it would be a far better, safer endeavor, and and that's really where I built a conviction to be a small business owner, and then to essentially be an investor. So my business thesis has gone from me being self-employed, highly compensated to being a small business owner who has other people employed that I'm paying to do my business to then being an investor, someone who has multiple avenues of passive and active income, investment income, dividend income, uh, all swirling around where I can pull levers. And that, that's where I sit today. Okay, interesting. So you also own one of the companies that is PRTI. So can you please uh, let people know what, what, what it does? Yeah, so when I uh, sold FastMed, I was blocked out of medicine and healthcare. And I had a portfolio of, of companies I had invested in. And this company, PRTI, was super interesting. Um, it was a, a waste to energy thesis. And the inventor was actually a man called Franco Fini from Italy. And he had proposed in 2006 that he could take a whole car tire and heat it and extract the constituent parts that it was made from, which are oil, steel, carbon, and synthetic gas. That process took about 16 hours. And at the end, you would be able to sell those commodities that you captured from the tire. But you could also get paid 
to take the tire as a waste stream. And that was super interesting to me. So I raised about 20 million bucks, some of my own money and some from friends and family. And I built the first plant in uh, Franklinton, North Carolina, just 15 miles from my house uh, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Then I went out and um, got contracts with uh, waste management, the uh, municipal waste streams that have to deal with tires and tire manufacturers. And we started building uh, the business. And we've run that business um, uh, continuously since 2015 up until March 18th when we had to shut it down due to the COVID, yeah. the COVID-19 situation and our shelter-in-place orders given by the state and the Fed. Mm-hmm. So what is the most important commodity that comes out of your output? Is it oil? It's power. Well, it's power uh, to start with. So what we were able to do is take a very simple waste to energy thesis. So I take tires, I put them through the technology, and I get all of these power commodities out of the back, solid fuel, synthetic gas fuel, liquid fuel, and steel. We sell the steel for scrap, but then the other commodities can either go into the oil market, they can go in the solid fuel market, they can go in the compressed gas market, or I can combust them in turbines or reciprocal generators and make power. So for us, um, it gives us a fair amount of flexibility, especially in a declining fossil fuel market where the oil price was was degrading over time, uh, up until the point yesterday where it was negative negative dollars per barrel, which is an amazing phenomenon in itself. Mm -hmm. But we were able to transact the power generation either into the grid uh, in a purchase power agreement, trading our generated power per kilowatt hour, or we could combust that power and use it for parasitic load generation and make cryptocurrency. And that's what we've done continuously. Uh, We we GPU mine right now, uh, but we also have uh, ASIC miners as well. So the best commodity that we make at this point is cryptocurrency. (laughs) For sure. So you you still mine cryptocurrencies from all power you got or like all electricity? That's, that's correct. Okay. That, that's correct. So we, we mine cryptocurrency and um, we, we gained all of our real understanding of crypto by mining crypto starting in 2015, 2016. So that, that mining endeavor brought us to understanding GPUs, understanding ASICs, understanding the amount of power they use, understanding the, the cooling and optimization of those rigs in a mine situation where you had a lot of redundancy uh, and a, a lot of heat generation. Then once we started to mine the crypto, we started to understand how to custody the cryptocurrency, what exchanges worked, um, what we should do in terms of arbitrage or trading, whether we should take Ethereum and go to Bitcoin and Bitcoin uh, to altcoins, um, the tax implications of those trades, whether we should hold, whether we should go to fiat. And that thesis has evolved up until today, where we even have more options, where we can take our fiat, our crypto that we mine, put it in a vehicle like BlockFi, where we can earn interest on stable coins, we can earn interest on Bitcoin or Ethereum, um, and uh, we could take loans against our cryptocurrency holdings if we so desire. So we've really seen an evolution occurring and a maturing of the industry, which is really exciting. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
and it's very cool you know i think you you were the first one to do so right yeah we were the first in the world to have a waste to energy cryptocurrency mine at scale like this yes well cool okay so as we are seeing oil prices collapsing so do you think it will it will like it will come back up or do you think it will stay at a point where it is now so are you speaking specifically about bitcoin no oil oh oil uh oh oil has to come back up so okay. you you've got two you got two things happening you've got um the shuttering of the global economy which is pretty much led by the united states like there's such an interconnectedness here that i think people don't really conceptualize even though the united states is its own economy its own continent here in north america which shares with other countries but it's super interconnected with others economies and when the united states shutters its economy it certainly affects other economies the fact that we have no demand really no demand for oil um globally has caused an oversupply now we don't have any place to store oil so you have yeah. a physical liability that's occurred for the first time at scale like this ever in history if you have to physically settle your order of oil it is a liability to you because you have no users you have no buyers and you have no storage options that will eventually go away if opec and the world's oil suppliers stop production or cut production way down and we turn the lights back on the global economy once those two things happen you're going to get demand a uh, reoccur you'll get uh, the need for the supply and you'll get a rise in the price yeah so uh, and do you think it will impact your business prti long term i know well, it is already impacted right right now but in yes yes yeah, so it right yeah so it's impacted us because we can't run because we've been stopped because of the covid-19 right so there's an immediate impact two our traditional oil buyers aren't there anymore but we don't need to sell our oil we can use it for power generation so we lose some optionality but we've hedged ourselves well in the fact that we mine cryptocurrency we can use all of our power for our own parasitic load we don't need a buyer mhm okay interesting okay and uh, you are also co-founder and partner at morgan creek digital along with pomp and mark usco and i see you guys that's in, correct yeah They're... invest a lot in bitcoin infrastructure companies so are you seeing these companies getting infected by covid-19 we we are um and it's a lot of them are decentralized by nature so the stay at home order hasn't necessarily affected their operations like a company like PRTI for example but it has impacted them in regards to the global economics uh and the shuttering of our economy um there are people like we're invested in infrastructure so i i would be likely to be an investor in insurance products or mortgages or 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 a, a digital banking modules so a lot of those have been affected by covid-19 mm -hmm. okay so once this coronavirus is done do you think what will be the biggest opportunities that will come out of this crisis and which businesses uh, will likely to not survive <laughs> 
once this is done? Yeah, so I, I think I, I said earlier that, you know, 58.9 million people are employed in small businesses right now. And those small businesses are mostly shut down. Those people are home. You know, 47.5% of the United States total employee workforce is employed in small businesses. I mean, it's a massive number. By, by our nature, we're innovative people. And I know people are coming up with new creative ways to engage a new normal in the world. So I don't think things will be the same as they were before this economic shutdown and before COVID-19 hit. And I know that there are lots of smart people working on new tech and new initiatives and new service offerings and new approaches to service that will be uh, really cool. Uh, and some of the things that I, that I think about are around hygiene, sterilization, things of that sort. I think there are innovations going on with how you use UV lighting to, um, to clean and sterilize surfaces and rooms. I think there are going to be new banking methodologies so as not to be so reliant on going into a bank. The, um, you know, I, think, I think that's pretty interesting to me. And I think typical things that we normally used to do, like going to the movies or going to a bar or... Um, or going to a restaurant are going to change forever. I think when these restaurants open back up, they're going to have to think about curbside delivery and delivery at home options and using things like Uber Eats and Postmates here in the United States um, and be optimized for carryout. Uh, as I think the going out to eat and being in large groups is going to be slow to getting back to normal. Um, I think personal protective equipment and options uh, around that are going to be a new business that's going uh, that's going to be uh, you know a nice opportunity. And then I think uh, supply chain domesticate domesticated supply chains. I think people are not going to rely on other countries to provide critical infrastructure in the future. So uh, countries will be building their own critical infrastructure supply chains so as not to rely on um, on international supply. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Is also we are seeing a lot of uh, a lot of money printing and Fed and central banks around the world are adding a, a billions of dollars into their balance sheet. So, what are your views on fiat currencies in general, and where do you think Bitcoin fits into all of these scenarios? Yes. So, money printing is a dangerous endeavor, and we've seen you know great economic collapse occur in certain countries that have devalued their currencies to like nothing. For example, like what happened in Zimbabwe. Um, right now, the United States is lucky that it represents the world reserve currency uh, of choice. And I think there's a flight to the US dollar. The US dollar is very strong right now, um, but we cannot print money infinitely without affecting uh, the value of the US dollar. And I'm concerned right now uh, for the amount of, of quantitative easing, universal basic income production that we may get drunk and dependent on, and the amount of economic stimulus that's going into saving 
the airline industry, the oil industry, saving our small businesses. It's got to end at some point. Um, and I think when Satoshi Nakamoto and the group or whoever that is uh, invented or manifested Bitcoin, uh, it was in response to quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin uh, acts opposite of everything we're seeing right now. Um, it's disinflationary, it's trustless, it's unseizable, um, and it has properties that should protect us against and hedge against this hyperinflation, uh, this hyperinflationary environment that we're in right now. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I think of it as the people's money. I'm excited to see it being accepted more and more. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that governments are changing direction on it. Uh, I've seen uh, India, for example, recently has warned against Bitcoin being, you know, very speculative, but is allowing people to have it as I understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so do you see Bitcoin more as a store of value or as a payments technology? Well, I, I don't know if it's a very good store of value right now because of its volatility. But I think as Bitcoin's price rises, the volatility will, will decrease and it will behave like a store of value. And that, that's something that it will gain in the future. But I think Bitcoin um, is, uh, is a speculative asset right now that um, will, will gain in terms of a, a store of value in the future. Okay, yeah, for sure. And how are you personally navigating your finances right now? Well, I am totally out of the stock market and have been for about 10 months. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, the way that I have my own personal finances set up are I'm in cash, I'm in real estate, I'm in uh, digital currencies, and I'm in stable tokens that, uh, that produce dividends. Uh, and it's very simple right now for me. Uh, I, I, I'm not in the stock market. Okay, interesting. Okay, so before we wrap up, I have like two questions for you. Yeah, the sure. first one is which podcast you listen to the most? <laughs> uh, I, right now, I love Lunch Money uh, with, okay, uh, and I think it's because of uh, uh, Polina. I think she's uh, <laughs> she she's such a sweet person, and and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to them. It's only a 15 minute podcast, but it's a lot of fun. Okay, perfect. And the second second question is: If you have to hold one asset for next ten years, what would it be apart from Bitcoin? So you can have any commodity, currency, company, whatever you want apart from Bitcoin. Uh, it probably be gold, gold and silver. Okay. Yeah, I, I would hold gold and silver, um, and you took away Bitcoin. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. Yes, so you still hold gold? Because I actually think, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not someone who thinks it's, um, it's something that you should avoid. I, I still think there's an evolution um, in regards to big banks, countries, and how they hedge against real economic instability. And I still think that they own a lot of physical gold and silver. So I don't think that owning physical gold or silver is a bad play. I think it's your hedge against 
the government trying to steal your wealth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, Mr. Jason, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. Talk soon. Bye bye.